Good morning, church. It's always a, uh, a blessing to be together again, to worship together. Uh, for those of you that haven't had the opportunity to hear my story, uh, I myself did not grow up in the church. I actually became a believer in high school. And so for me, a lot of my early years of church uh, was purely academic. It was, it was a lot of learning what I didn't know. But as I've gotten older, I've really come to value just the collective worship with fellow believers, uh, uh, hearing how the Word is, is challenging one another, uh, but to hear these shared stories of God's faithfulness, how God continues to show up in people's lives. And all of that is part of our worship. Uh, but it also reminds me a lot of my time in college at, at Charleston Southern University. I didn't get many scholarships because I uh, made some very unwise teenage decisions. Nothing, nothing illegal, but it was just uh, being an a excellent procrastinator and, uh, and just wasting the resources that were at hand. Uh, so I didn't get many scholarships, and I had to rely heavily on grants and loans, um, and they make sure that I remember that for years to come. But because of that, I couldn't afford to live on campus. I, I, thankfully, I lived just uh, uh, about a mile and a half away from, from Charleston Southern, so I was a, a commuter, but I feel that because of that, I missed out a lot on the quote-unquote college experience. Uh, I have some great friends and built some great relationships that still continue today in that time. But because I, I, I lived at home and I, I served uh, off campus at, at Metro North Church, that's where I, I was going at the time, the friendships that I built and developed weren't as deep as the people who were constantly in each other's lives, the people that were living together, the people that were always uh, going to lunch or dinner together, the people that were always together because they lived on campus together. We, we would spend time together, you know, in class or outside hanging out, but I didn't have as much time to spend with them and get to know them, and, and likewise, they didn't have as much time to, to spend with me, and so I never felt as connected to the people who lived on campus as the people who lived together. And in a way, I feel like church is very similar. Now, nobody actually lives here within the, the church, which would be very awkward seeing as how we worship in a school, but there are people who, uh, that were like me in college that spend a good bit, a good bit of time going to church, but they don't feel as connected as the people who spend a lot of time together, the people who are consistently in one another's lives. In reading this passage in Hebrews 3, uh, the author is unpacking how Jesus is greater than Moses. And in addressing the house of God that has been built and, the, the, and, and how Christian relationships should build one another up, I would actually argue that this chapter is also making the, the, the case and the argument that every Christian should be a member of their local church. Not out of guilt-based or, or fear-driven, uh, you better do this or else. It's not about building up 
just the name of two rivers. It's not about getting numbers so we feel like we're a, a, a more qualified and quantified church because we have these many people on the membership roll. It's not about that. But Hebrews 3 shows two specific reasons why believers should be part of the local church. And first, the first reason is because Jesus built the church. And we see that in verses 1 through 6, that because Jesus built the church. And secondly, in verses uh, 7 through the end of the chapter, in uh, 7 through 19, it's because the church was built for believers. So the first reason that every Christian should be a member of their local church is because Jesus built the church. The second reason is the church was built for believers. Before I go any further, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the freedom and the opportunity to come together with your people and worship you. What you have done, not just for us, but for your people throughout history. And so God, we pray that you would meet with us here this morning, that you would pour out your spirit into this place, that uh, this sermon would not just be uh, my agenda or my plan, but God, that your spirit would speak gospel truth through me and through your word, that you would challenge our hearts and our minds by the very power of your word. Be with us now. And we pray this in the victorious name of Christ. Amen. Now for the past couple of weeks, we've begun walking through the book of Hebrews, and for those of you that need a, a, a brief refresher, uh, the book of Hebrews is actually an anonymous letter. The other letters in the New Testament uh, have a specified author. We don't have that with the, the book of Hebrews. It's actually kind of a collection of little sermonettes that were compiled for uh, the audience, which was uh, Hebrew believers, hence the title to the Hebrews, that these were Jewish converts to the Christian faith. And so because they were Hebrews, they had an intimate uh, knowledge and they were familiar with uh, the law and the prophets and the poetry or what we refer to as our Old Testament. They had an intimate knowledge of that. And so the author begins unpacking the superiority of Christ to the former things that they already knew. The former things that God had provided and that God had done were not bad things, but now that God has sent His Son, Jesus, what God is doing now is better. That the past has given way to better things. And so the first week we saw how God is communicated in a better way, which is through His Son. And last week we saw how Christ is greater than the angels and even unpacked how He makes you greater than the angels and making you a child of God. And in chapter 3, the author begins showing how Christ is better than Moses, but is also implicitly describing the beauty of the faith community. 
And so the first reason why every believer should join the local church is because Jesus built the church. Starting in verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, this isn't an earthly calling, this isn't about just finding a job or what is your mission in life, this is your heavenly calling that is given from the Lord Himself. Consider Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. An apostle was a person that was a representative of God to the people, that they had the authority of the Lord as they conveyed His word to the people. And on the other hand, the high priest is the reverse side of that coin, that the high priest had the role of, of being the representative of the people to God. That when the priest would make a sacrifice according to the Old Testament sacrificial system, that he was doing that, interceding for the people before a holy and just God. And so an apostle is a representative to the people, whereas the high priest is the representative to God. And Jesus is said to be both. And so the author says, consider Jesus. Set your mind, focus on Him as He plays out these roles. Picking up in verse 2, this Jesus who was faithful to Him who appointed Him, this God, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. Now this is a very important comparison and distinction because Moses, if, if the Old Testament uh, Jewish community had like baseball cards of their heroes of faith, Moses would be like the most prized possession. Like that's like the gold foil rookie card or whatever it is for those of you that collected baseball cards. Like Moses is the hero of the Old Testament. That he freed the people from captivity. That he was the one who brought the law from God to the people and led the people through the wilderness. Moses was a hero to the Jewish community. And Jesus is being compared to this Moses. And so this is a very important distinction and comparison, not just to the Jewish community, but even to the Gentiles who knew about this covenant God, they knew the importance that Moses played in Jewish history. Even today, other faiths recognize the importance and holiness of Moses as a man of faith in the history of religion. Even people outside of the structure of a Judeo-Christian faith system recognize that Moses was a holy man of faith. And here, the author of Hebrews is said that Jesus is just as faithful, or just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. And picking up in verse 3, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. 
So the author begins using this analogy of how a building can be a glorious thing, but the glory goes to not the building, but the one who built the building. Moses took care of God's house as a servant. But Jesus doesn't just take care of the house. He built the house. Back in chapter 1, two weeks ago, in in verse 2, we saw that when the Father spoke to His people by the Son, it says that as God the Father spoke by the Son, through whom He created the world. That creation exists. Creation itself came into being by God the Father through God the Son. The building exists not because Moses took care of it, but because it was built by and through Jesus. In 1976, there was a small little tech company that you might have heard of today called Apple, and it was started by these two men named Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. You might have heard of it, I don't know. Um, But in 1985, Steve Jobs was actually forced out of Apple. The, the, the very company that he helped co-create, he was forced out, and so he founded a uh, computer platform development company called Next. And in the late 90s, Apple was actually on the verge of bankruptcy and falling apart. But in 1997, Apple and Next merged together, and uh, Steve Jobs actually became the CEO of the very company that he helped co-create. And because of his creativity and ingenuity, he helped make Apple into the uh, huge behemoth that it is today. To the fact that there, uh, there are few people left that have not heard of iPods or iPads or uh, iWatches or Apple Watches, whatever. I don't even, I, I keep, I'm not an Apple guy. I'll confess that. But even as a non-Apple person, I recognize the ingenuity and the the passion that Steve Jobs brought to Apple to create this technological world that we have become, or that we live in today, is largely in part to the vision and the creativity of Steve Jobs. Apple itself and its products are are beloved by many, but Steve Jobs is heralded as the genius behind it. He's the one that drove it to where it is today. He built that house. As the author states, Jesus receives more glory than Moses because while Moses took care of the house, Jesus built it. Picking up in verse 5, the author quotes uh, from Numbers chapter 12, verse 7, when he says that now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. At one point in the book of Numbers, uh, the Lord is actually uh, chastising Aaron for his unfaithfulness. And the Lord says, not so with my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. The Lord Himself 
recognized the faithfulness of Moses as he took care of the house of God's people. Back to Hebrews. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. The the work that Moses did was good. It's not invalidated in any way, but what Jesus did and has done is better. Because he's not just a servant, but he is a son. He is the son. God in the flesh come to not just build the house, but to lead, to guide the house, to take care of it. Back in verse 1 when it described Jesus as an apostle and high priest, these are things that Moses himself did. He did that work, but those words were never used to describe Moses himself. Moses served as an apostle, as that representative from God to the people, as he gave the people the law of God and as he led the people through the wilderness. He played the role of the high priest as he interceded on the role of the people, as he, he, uh, uh, according to the word that God gave him, set up the sacrificial system to atone for the sins of the people. Moses played the role of both the apostle and the high priest, but was never called them. And Jesus came and did what Moses did but better. Jesus was the true apostle as he not just, he didn't just give the law through himself, but he kept the law as he was sinless and he offered himself as the ultimate and perfect sacrifice. So he was both the apostle and the high priest going to the people as a representative from God, but sacrificing himself as an intercession from the people toward God. In his death and resurrection, he became the ultimate mediation between God and man. As he took the sins of God's people upon himself and died on the cross to take the death and punishment that God's people, that you and I cannot make. He took that upon Himself and gives God's people His righteousness. Gives you His status as a holy and righteous child of God. His sacrificial work is done. He does not need to die over and over again. That's why we do not continue to make sacrifices today because the one sacrifice of Christ had the power to cover all sin. And still, at the, at the right hand of the Father of God, He continues to intercede on your behalf. And then the author says that we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope this building is not the house of god 
Not just because this is a school, but this is where we worship, but this building itself is not the house of God. If we were to actually have our own church building where we didn't have to set up and tear down every week, that building itself would not be the house of God. The church office where we work during the week and and, and I get to, to do sermon prep and all that stuff, that office is not the house of God. Because the house of God is the people of God that God has brought together through His Son through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have been made part of the house and the building of God. You and I are the church. The church isn't just a membership card like you're going to Sam's Club or Costco's. You don't just get a card and say, all right, I'm part of the club now. I'm covered. I'm good. But you are part of the house of God. In Matthew 16, Peter has confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in verse 18, Jesus says that that truth is the rock upon which He will build the church. Because Jesus didn't come to build buildings. Jesus didn't come to die and make more programs within the church. He came and He died and and was resurrected to bring together His people as the eternal church. Moses took care of God's people, but Christian, God, Christ, has made you as a people for His glory. In Ephesians 2, Paul says that you are part of the household of God with Christ as the cornerstone built to the glory of God. So why should you belong to the local church? Because that's how Christ made you. Christ made you to belong not as a lone brick independent in your own faith, but as one brick among many, not in isolation, but being built together that we as a collection of God's people are being built together as a holy temple to the glory of God. But joining the local church is not just because Christ built it, but because the church itself was built for believers. In, verse, in verses 7 through 11, the author is quoting Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, as he gives this warning against hardening your heart against God. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is a strict warning from God against and I know the church language is hardening your heart, but to, to put up walls against the, the miracles and the majesty of what God has done 
that he's describing people who were with Moses and literally saw God leading them through the wilderness in a pillar of fire. He, they saw the miracles of, of God and the, the plagues that he brought upon the Egyptians, and still they said, mm, I don't know about that. And the author of Hebrews says, be careful of being just like them. Picking up in verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that's every day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You need to belong to the church because you need the other people in here and they need you. Churches are filled with well-intentioned and well-meaning people who wholeheartedly tell themselves and believe, I would never fill in the blank thinking, well, I know that that person sinned like that, but I would never do that. But on someone's wedding day, no one ever looks at their marriage and says, you know what, I think in you know, five, six, seven years, I'm going to slowly build up a relationship with a coworker so I can have an affair. People don't enter their marriage with that mindset, but their heart becomes hardened towards sin. On the first day of school, no student begins their school year by saying, you know what, I think for, for my final exams this year, I'm going to figure out the best way possible that I can lie and cheat to get the best grade I can get. But it comes by hardening of the heart and developing a tendency towards sin that leads to greater sin. When someone begins a ministry, no one begins a, a ministry by saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to just pour my heart and life into this ministry, and in a few years, I'm just going to walk away from the faith entirely and leave a devastation in the wake that I've left behind. No one begins a ministry saying, you know what, I'm going to pour myself into this ministry, and I'm just going to give up in, say, about 10, 15 years, and I'm actually going to commit suicide and cause the people who listen to me to question everything they believe about faith because I, I'm just, I, I can't do it anymore. No one begins their ministry by saying that, but it comes by a hardening of the heart towards sin and turning from the faithfulness of God. The deceitfulness of sin hardens the heart to the point where even the most devout believer, if left unchecked, could tell themselves the lie one day, I would never do that. Take care, brothers, because you're just as capable of sin as any other person. And so exhort one another as long as it is called today. Every day it is called today. Today is today just as tomorrow. When we're in the midst of tomorrow, it will be tomorrow's today. 
I know that sounds really weird, but every single day, tomorrow you're not going to wake up and tell yourself, well, this is yesterday's tomorrow. You're going to wake up and say, today. And the author is saying, every day that it is called today, you need to be exhorting one another and building one another up in the church because all of you are just as capable of sin as the rebellious people of Israel. I need you to remind me of how the gospel has worked in your life. Just as you need me and other people to point you back to the gospel as well. Because we have come to share in the gospel of Christ together. Picking up in verse 15. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. As he unpacks the, the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel, these people of God, the, the people that God himself set apart as his holy nation, he points out that their disobedience flowed out of their unbelief. To the point where even Moses himself was not allowed to enter the promised land. There are three major places uh, in the Old Testament where God specifically tells His people and Moses that they're not going to the land that He has given them. And that's Exodus 17, Numbers 14, Deuteronomy 32. I'm not going to read all of those, but I encourage you to go back, check them out. Exodus 17, Numbers 14, Deuteronomy 32. But it's easy to look and see what God has said to these rebellious people. And we look at Israel today with this disdain, thinking, oh my goodness, how could they do that? We read what Israel did in the Old Testament, and we say, oh, I would never. There's that phrase again. I would never do that. And if you find yourself saying, I would never do that, then I would say that you don't know just how sinful your own heart is can be. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23 that not everyone who says to me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me Lord, Lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty, mighty works many mighty works in your name and then I will declare to them I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The unfaithfulness of the people with Moses led to them not being able to enter the promised land. But there is an unfaithfulness within the church that the people who can, they can make themselves busy with the, the quote-unquote work of the church but never actually follow 
Christ. And for those who do not submit themselves to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, for those who do not submit themselves to them, it's not just not being able to enter the promised land, but eternity outside of heaven. Eternity separated from the living God. The sin in your heart makes you no different from Israel in the Old Testament. Your heart is making idols that are trying desperately to dethrone God. You might not be bowing down to golden calves, but at the, the core, your sin is still the same. You and I, our hearts crave the chasing after of power and comfort and pleasure and worshiping self over giving self away. That's the core of the idols that we bow down to. So why do you need church? Because you need people in your life that are going to point you back to the gospel. Not to, to just buckle down and try to be a better person or do more work or do work better, but to point you back to the work that has been done by Jesus Christ. You need people, and people need that from you. Next week, we're actually starting up our small groups within the church, and the focus for the fall is about sharing stories of God's faithfulness. I was talking with Barry the other day and, and the, the book that we were reading through describes it as story feasting. That we will, uh, our small groups will be a collection of people coming together to feast on stories of God's faithfulness in each other's lives. And in that sense, exhorting one another, as the author said, and pointing each other back to the gospel by showing what God has done in His faithfulness. Because in the chaos of life, it is easy to become distracted and discouraged by the sin that weighs us down. And so our small groups are an intentional move for our church and our families to speak gospel truth into one another's hearts. This fall, we're going to have another inquirer's class. It's not just a membership class, but it's an inquirer's class because it's the story of how God has planted and used two rivers within this community. If there are people that are wishing to join the church, by all means, come to the inquirer's class because that is the process that we use. But if there are existing church members that have forgotten the story of how God has used two rivers, I encourage and invite you, come to the inquirer's class. It's not just for people looking to join, but for all of us in this community together, longing to be reminded of God's faithfulness. It's these stories that we tell to exhort one another and build each other up. In the existing ministries of the church, we have wild our women in loving discipleship 
as these women come together and, and, and read Scripture together and share their lives together to point each other back to the Gospel. We have our quarterly men's get-together, which will be coming up sometime in October. We have uh, our men's breakfast group that meets on Friday mornings. We have Converge coming back this Wednesday. We have these ministry opportunities for our people to get involved in the lives of each other because you need them to remind you of the Gospel and they need you. We have people getting together for coffee and lunch during the week. We have chili cook-offs and oyster roasts and dinner parties. Why? Not just because as a church we need something to do, but because there is a very real enemy that is seeking to destroy and devour God's people, and you have a heart tainted by sin fighting against the holiness of God. And so you need people in your life. Not to guilt you into another program or to a, a, a ministry service, but you need people in your life that are going to speak gospel truth to your heart. To point you back to what the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Say you don't have to earn God's favor because God gave it to you through His Son. And the empty tomb that Jesus left behind gave you victory over sin and death. You need people in your life that are going to remind you that you are a child, a holy child of the living God. That you are one brick among many that have been, come, that have been brought together building a holy temple to the glory of God. You need the stories of God working in the lives of other people just as they need to hear the stories of God's faithfulness in your life. Because we're all in this together. And so as we conclude this morning, I don't know where exactly you stand in your faith or what you believe about belonging to not just the church universal, but to the, the local church itself. But I want to challenge you Will you wander through life fighting for your own independence, thinking that you've got this on your own, trying to figure out life by your own understanding and trying to build your own faith according to the works that you can do and what you can accomplish? Or will you trust in what Christ has made you to be? Not just a member of the church universal, but a brick in your local church to invest in people here to hear their stories of God's faithfulness and to share your life, your stories with fellow believers resting together in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. Which will you choose? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank You. God, we thank You because we are not left to figure this out on our own, but You have brought us together as Your people for Your glory, for Your kingdom. 
that we are being built up into a holy temple to Your glory. To worship and adore You for what You have done. We don't need to earn Your love. We don't need to make ourselves righteous because You did it for us. And so God, remind us that Christ is the one who finished the work on our behalf and that He is building us together. And God, remind us that we need others in our lives to remind us of that faithfulness. Bring those people into our lives to speak gospel truth to us as we share with them the stories of your faithfulness. Be with us as we leave, as we go home, as we go to our jobs and to school. Everywhere we go, Lord, remind us of your faithfulness and your love to us. And we pray all of this in the majestic, holy, victorious name of Jesus. Amen.